Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. How are you this morning? Oh, there we are. Hey there. Good morning. Hey, and good morning to those who are watching uh, via our live stream. We are so glad you're here. So whether you are joining us in person uh, or online today, we're glad that you're here. And uh, like, like Jeremy mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, we kind of have a unique teaching opportunity. Uh, all three of us are teaching. We're, I guess we're bringing the big guns out is what we're doing. Uh, so, but this morning we're, we're jumping back into our If This Then That sermon series. Now last week uh, we had our fall Bible conference and we were honored to have Dr. Russ Meek uh, share with us his, his expertise and his, and his story and his thoughts on uh, Ecclesiastes. And as I was preparing for, for this message, my portion of this message this morning, I kept thinking back to that, that when we experience hardship, when we experience trial, when we experience persecution, we have such an opportunity to look back and to, to see what God has done, to trust his character, to trust his faithfulness, and to enjoy the good gifts that we have. And I, that's a, what a great song to transition into our message, that all of our lives, we've, he has been faithful and he has been good. Uh, and so we're going to look at some of that scripture today. Uh, as, as, like I said, we're jumping back into our If Then This That sermon series. And uh, in the past several weeks, we've looked at the book of Romans. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy uh, covered a large chunk of about 1 through 11 of Romans, which is quite a feat if you think about it. Uh, and in a very simple way, it looked at the problem of sin and what God has done to take care of it. And when you get to the beginning of chapter 12 in Romans, there's that big therefore. And as, as Pastor Jeremy says, and I tell you students, uh, when you see a therefore, you've got to, got to ask what it is there for. You have to look and say, all right, what, what's important? There is, there is a point that is about to be made. And it looked at this idea of being living sacrifices in view of God's mercy and calling us not to live as the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so it's kind of the idea behind this, if this, then that series is, if it's true that God has taken care of the problem of sin through his sinning of his son Jesus to die on the cross, if that is true, then that means for followers of Jesus, there, there's something that we should be doing as a result, that our lives should reflect something different because of what God has done through Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be in the middle of, of chapter 12, looking at what that means for us. And so wherever you are in your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're, we're definitely talking to you. This is looking at, hey, this is what my life should reflect. When I, when I go about my life, when I experience hardship or trial or difficult things, this is what we are called to do. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this kind of benefits you a little bit. Because one of the biggest things that you see about Christians is that we can be a bunch of hypocrites. That we can say one thing, but act another way. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what the picture is supposed to be. The way that Christians are supposed to treat you. The way that they are supposed to serve you and love you and offer mercy and grace beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. This is what it's supposed to be. And so, we're going to dive into scripture this morning, but if, before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you are good and that you are faithful and that we can enjoy the good gifts that you have given us. God, and I pray that we would uh, not walk away this morning without encountering your truth uh, in, in such a real uh, and tangible way. God, I pray that we walk away with a deeper understanding of your love for us and your desire for us to be representatives of your message of hope, of love, of grace through your son, Jesus, God. So open our hearts and our ears to what you have to teach us this morning. And it's in your sons and we pray. Amen. 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 
Yeah, so we are looking forward to a triple team here this morning. Uh, please turn your Bibles with us to Romans chapter 12. Uh, Pastor Cameron gave you kind of the bird's eye overview of Romans 1 through 11 and where we're going. I'll just remind you of a couple brief things that we looked at um, a couple weeks ago as we were in Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12, you have the first three verses, which is talking about, therefore, and brothers, in view of God's mercy, here's what I want you to do. But then it gets really specific, and you could break it down. Some scholars are breaking it down this way. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 13 are primarily directed towards how the body of Christ, and it's described as a body in Romans 12, how it's supposed to work together, how, how we're supposed to act towards one another, okay? So that's verses 3 through 13. You'll notice, and we'll read it in just a minute, but you'll notice in verse 13, it says, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. But then in verse 14, there seems to be a little bit of a transition. He says, bless those who persecute you. Okay, so, so the idea here is he's probably talking about, now I want you to think about how are you going to interact with people outside of the community of faith. Now, that doesn't mean that you, don't, that you can't also apply these verses, 14 through 21, to the community of faith, but it means that there's probably something bigger at play here. And so, um, just as a quick recap, that's kind of the structure for Romans chapter 12. But one of the things that Paul just kind of comes back to and comes back to, not just here, but throughout other writings that he does, um, is this idea of the body. How is the body supposed to work together? And one of the foundational elements to how the body of Christ is supposed to work comes down to this one word, humility. Can you say that? Humility. Not Greek, not Hebrew, it's just English, okay? Humility. Humility. Humility is one of those big words, though, that if we don't start there, in view of God's mercy, how are we supposed to act? humility, we can get gifts really messed up really quickly, okay? So that's why he says um, in verse 3 of chapter 12, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. He's talking about humility. Elsewhere in Philippians, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is the model for how we are to live. Humility, okay? So you go to humility, and then he starts talking about these gifts, and there's all sorts of different understandings sometimes about these gifts, and some contention about prophecy, and teaching, and exhorting, and all how, how these all get played out. But his point here is, Every follower of Jesus has been given the Holy Spirit. Therefore, every follower of Jesus has been given spiritual gifts to edify the body. So whether you are young or you are old, whether you um, grew up in the church or you didn't grow up in the church, um, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for five minutes or for 50 years, there are gifts that God is giving you through his spirit, that he wants you to use for the building up of the kingdom. Now, with those gifts comes a little bit of application of those gifts as well. Um, one of the um, things about spiritual gifts is that the, they're not for the building up of ourselves. They're for the building up of the body. Um, one example, and, and there are several we could talk about, but one that I just saw in great color this week uh, is, is when he says this. He says, if exhorting in exhortation, verse 8, giving with generosity. 
Um, someone uh, came into my office this week, and I got to be on the, on the other side of the table of someone who wanted to, I think, exercise this gift, give with generosity. I, I don't know if you've looked at your bulletin this morning, uh, but on the back side of the bulletin, you'll notice um, that there is a, a, a note there, and we, we kind of keep track of giving and budget and all that kind of stuff, uh, just so that we're aware, and, and are giving to missions so that we know how to best further the kingdom. Um, and I'm so thankful for a congregation whom I have seen. I've seen so many of you give, not just give financially, but give of yourselves. My family alone has been the incredible uh, recipient of so many um, gifts. And I'm not talking money, I'm just talking about gifts of care, gifts of prayer, gifts of service in the past several weeks as we've been going through a transition of our own with housing. Um, but, but someone came into my office this week and, and they said, um, they, they asked me this question. They, they said, we have land out on Quincy and 104th. And I said, they knew that. And I said, yeah. And they said, what's the balance of that land? What, what left does our church owe? And I said, I don't, let me get a bulletin because numbers aren't my thing. Um, but I went and I looked and last week it was like $36,000 and it was really $34,000 because in the midweek we paid one of our installments. All that doesn't matter. Here's what matters. They said, um, God has given me something recently through my employer, through an extra bonus. And they said, I believe God wants me to use it to help retire this debt. All right, so they said, I said, I'll connect you with Pastor Tom, <laughs> and he'll take it from here. Um, but here's the thing. So, so you'll notice on the back of your sheet, it says, like, land debt on Quincy property or however it's written. What's the number there? Zero. Zero. Zero, yeah. <clears throat> Zero. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Here's the point, though. The person said to me, I believe God wants me to do this. Friends, I don't care if you're giving $34,000 or if you're giving 34 cents. If God has called you to do it, do it. That's the whole point about gifts. If he's called you to teach, jump in with both feet. If he's called you to serve, serve with humility and with joy and with gladness. Jump in with both feet. Whether you are in person, whether you are joining us online, whether you, wherever you find yourself this morning, God wants you, regardless of your age, to jump in with both feet. We have a couple of young people who are beginning serving in our media ministry, and I love seeing them because it's just, ah, it's just so encouraging to see the next generation of people saying, I want to serve the kingdom. God, where can I serve it? Let me jump in here. How has God gifted you? How does God want you to exercise what he has given you to further his kingdom? I know that was two weeks ago message or three weeks ago message, but friends, jump in with both feet. So he goes from there and we jump into um, verse nine. Sorry, what? Okay. <laughs> I was just getting my flow going. <laughs>
Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. I just yeah. so so for everyone who's online who didn't hear that because he didn't have a mic, um, he was just saying there's much to rejoice about. <laughs> there's the quick summary. Friends, God has been so good. God has been so so good. And I love what my brother says. There there is so much in our life, and I know some of us are walking through difficult times right now. It might be physical. It might be emotional or spiritual. But friends, God has been so good. So, in view of God's mercy, what do we do? We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and we say, God, what do you want me to do? And we just follow with simple obedience and give him the praise. So, Romans chapter 12. Would you stand with me? Let's read this together. Romans chapter 12 says this. We're going to read all of it because I want you to get the whole context. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, all y'all's mind, so that you might discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure, a measure of faith to each one, now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service in service, if teaching in teaching, if exhorting in exhortation, Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those, who bless, or bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. 
Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So, how we are then supposed to live. How we are then supposed to live. Um, He, okay, I'm going to give you verse 9 here. And then I'm going to pass it off to Tom. Um, verse 9, love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. I translated this earlier this week, love must be without play acting. Okay, love must be without play acting. Hating strongly the evil, clinging or staying in close relationship to what is good. This idea of love in this scripture is foundational. Um, the quality of this um, really uh, a fruit of the Spirit, um, pops up all over Paul's writings. We find it here. We find it in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's talking about gifts. And then he says, hang on a second. I want to talk to you about love. Because if you don't have everything, if you don't have anything else, if you have love, whew, that's good. But if you have all these other things, but you don't have love, you are nothing. All right? That's the context of love for Paul. Paul Paul frames love as being a foundational fruit of God's spirit that drives everything we do. Now, love in our day-to-day tends to be something that we define as an affection or a feeling. For Paul, that is not the case. Love is a decision. It's an act of the will to act on someone else's behalf with God's interests in mind without expecting anything else in return. All right? Love is a decision. It's an action. We love because he first loved us, John says in his thing. And he says here, love must be, I translate it, love must be without hypocrisy, or love must be uh, something that isn't uh, play acting. The, the, the word here is the idea of sincerity. And the word in Greek refers to the masks that actors would wear as they were engaging in ancient theater. And so they put on a mask in order to play a role. And it was common then, as it is now, to put on emotional expressions of love with very little backing, or to say, I want to look good on the outside, when really the center of who we are is not based out of love. It's not based out of love. Real love is an action based upon God's love for you. Therefore, we are called then to love one another and act on their behalf. It's, it's, a, it's not an emotion. It's a decision to put someone else first in life and to be genuine with that. Not to be false with it and say one thing as, you're, as though you're acting in a play and doing another. It's, it's to let what you see is what you get, all right? It, it's to let, let it be what it is. And so Paul says, I, I want you to love without hypocrisy or without a mask here. And I want you to hate that which is evil. And the idea of the word hate here, it, it's a type of verbal form that means to continuously hate. So I translated it, hating that which is evil. All right, taking that which is not according to what God wants, but continuing to despise that and continuing to uphold love over everything else, caring for others. 
So he says, he says, don't stop hating that evil. He says, rather, cling to what is good. And the idea of the word cling here, <clears throat> it can be used as like glue between two boards that sticks them together and you can't pull them apart. Um, it's used in Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is describing how the dust of the area was clinging to his disciples' feet. How many of you have ever gone out to the beach? All right, online, I hope you've been there. It's great. Um, if you've ever gone to the beach and you go in the water and you walk out of the water, what's the first thing that happens as you hit that sand? It sticks to your feet. Now, that may be great if you love sand in your house, but if you don't love sand in your house, then you're going to spend the next 20 minutes just trying to get all the sand off your feet, or you're going to wait for your feet to dry in order to get them clean, and then you're still going to get sand everywhere. The idea that Paul has here, I want you to cling to what is good. I want it to be like you've just stepped out of water, and you've stepped in sand, and your foot is absolutely covered with sand. Detest that which is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, what is good? Well, the important thing to understand is that good is always defined by God. It's not defined by what I think is good. It's defined by God. We often want to define our own good. We, we want to define love in a way that makes us feel better. Biblical love cares for a person while desiring God's intentions and God's best for their life. A child may want to run into a street, but a good parent knows, grab that kid right now. <laughs> Because out of my love for my three-year-old, I don't want him to walk into the middle of Chicago Drive. Because that would be bad. True love is based upon that which is true. And, and um, in a couple of different areas in Scripture, we, we find um, that we are to cling to God's commandments, the psalmist talks about. Good is defined by God's teaching and God's perspective for our lives. I, I love... Um, how uh, one writer put it. He says this. He says, true love involves a deep hatred for all that is evil, for evil can never benefit the beloved. Evil can never benefit the beloved. Continue to think about um, being living sacrifices. In verses 10 to 13, we have quite a, uh, quite a long list of things that should be true in our lives as, we are be, as we're being living sacrifices. And um, verse 10 starts out by saying, if you are being a living sacrifice, you should be treating your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in the way that a healthy, loving family treats its members. And so verse 10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. And so the words that are being used here is we're talking about kindly affectionate. We're talking about the way that parents and children in a good relationship uh, feel about each other, that they have positive feelings toward each other. They love each other. When we're talking about brotherly love, here's a Greek word that all of us can pronounce. It's Philadelphia. Uh, we have the love that good brothers have for each other. Now, I'm talking about good brothers. I'm not talking about Cain and Abel. Okay, uh, the love that Cain had for Abel. That's not what I'm talking about. But maybe we're talking about the love that Joseph had for his brothers, that in spite of the fact that they sold him into slavery, that they were thinking about killing him, he loved them enough that he was willing to save their lives when he had the opportunity 
to get revenge on them. And so he was willing to do what was best for them, even though they hadn't done anything to earn his affection. And then it talks about um, giving in honor, giving preference to one another. And so it's manifested as we place a higher value on the people that we're loving than we placed on ourselves. And so the goal isn't what's in it for me. The goal is what will most benefit my brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And then verse 11 tells us that this is going to involve effort on our part. It's just not going to be effortless, easy. It says, uh, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so we can't be lazy. We have to be diligent. It takes effort. Uh, we must be passionate. Fervent relates to boiling. Our spirits are boiling in our efforts in order to help each other. That um, our love for the Lord is reflected in our love for each other. So we're serving the Lord. We are slaves to the Lord as we love each other. Uh, we are pouring out our love for each other because of our relationship with him. And so verse 9 then, or verse 12 rather, gives us our state of mind as we're serving each other, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And so we rejoice in hope. We have confident expectation and rejoice in that confident expectation in the midst of the trials and challenges that surround us in a falling world. And that's because we have a confident expectation regarding the future. We look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. We know that uh, we who are alive and remain will meet him in the air, but those who do not will be, precede us, that they'll be caught up before us and they'll meet him first. And so we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. We look forward to the resurrection of the body. We look forward to salvation from this present wicked world. We look forward to an eternity of glory rejoicing with him. And because of that, then we are able to endure. And so rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. And so patient is kind of like uh, enduring under. It's like uh, the rear guard of an uh, army that's under attack. And everyone else is retreating, and the rear guard is staying there firm against the enemy in spite of the overwhelming force that they are facing. And we're able to endure because we have access to God. And so rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We, as we are enduring trials, we are able to endure those trials because we have direct access to the king of the universe at any moment, continuously. And he loves us too much to do anything that's bad for us. He is too powerful to have anything happen that he cannot intervene on our behalf. And he's too wise to make a mistake as he's intervening on our behalf. And so no matter what we are experiencing as we're coming to God in prayer, we know he's able to answer and he is answering according to his wisdom in the way that is absolutely best for us. And so then that tells us that we go on and serve, each, serve because of what happens. It says, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And so this 
Distributing, uh, it's related to another word you may have heard, koinonia. It's sharing with others. Um, we are sharing our blessings because we love the one who has blessed us, and in turn, we share in his love for the people we have the opportunity to share with. And so he says especially that he wants us to do this in relationship with the saints, distributing to the needs of the saints. And when we're talking about saints, we're not talking about some kind of super Christian that is highly elevated among all, above all of us other Christians, but we're talking about every single person who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses you from all sin. And you are then holy. And the word saints refers to the fact that you are holy. You have become holy in Jesus Christ. And so, in particular, we are called to share with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But it might extend even to people that we've never met because it says given to hospitality. And often when we think of hospitality, we think of friends. You know, we think, hey, I'm going to have my friends over for dinner and we're going to have a good time together. But this particular word for hospitality, it's talking about a love of strangers. So this isn't hospitality, I'm going to have a friend over. This is hospitality, I'm going to have someone I don't even know come over to my house and I'm going to minister to them. And uh, Jesus Christ talks about this a little bit in Luke chapter 14. And uh, there in verses 12 to 14, I'd like to read that for you. Luke 14, 12 to 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then as we look at Hebrews chapter 13, And in Hebrews 13, we can look at verse 2. And it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called not only to uh, be nice to those who are nice to us, but we're called to extend God's grace and his goodness to people we don't even know. Chapter 14, I don't know about you, the first time I read it, it stepped on my toes a little bit. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Uh, firstly, uh, being from the South, one of the first things that I, I, I thought about was when people from the South say, oh, oh bless your heart. Um, I can tell you as a representative of the South, they are not trying to bless your heart. Uh, they, are, they are calling you a dum-dum in the nicest way possible. That is not what we're talking about here. When we say bless and do not persecute, or bless those who, who persecute, bless and do not curse, we're saying there is a norm, right? At the beginning of chapter 12, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, meaning there is a, a social norm, there is a cultural norm, there is an expectation that when we uh, receive something bad, 
it's almost accepted to return it back in a way, right? And, and if you look around the world that we live in right now, if you spend any time on social media, you realize how divisive that can be. Uh, you might say, hey, I, I really love puppies on Facebook, and your whole comment section of that can say, well, well how do you hate cats so much? Uh, it's very divisive. And it's, it's, it's to the point where it, the, the social norm of an eye for an eye uh, is become accepted. But Paul is saying, hey, we're called to live differently in view of God's mercies, going back to chapter 12, to, to live as, as, a, as living sacrifices. This bless and do not curse is important. Because when we as followers of Jesus interact with people who persecute us, we have an opportunity right then and there to be a picture of the love and grace that Jesus has shown for us. And so when we say bless and do not persecute, it's not just being kind. It's not just holding back your tongue. One commentator, this, was, this is where it stepped on my toes. That word bless was to call upon God to bestow his kindness. So when you receive persecution, when you receive trials, when somebody treats you in a way that you know is not right, our natural reaction is to say, well, I want to I repay that. I want to I get back at them. But instead, Paul is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. And he says it two times, two times blessed in this one verse. I want you to call upon God to, to bestow his goodness on that person. Now, for me, that's difficult because sometimes on the surface, I can be nice. I can say, yep, okay, you know, I, I understand how you feel and, and go about my ways. But the moment I'm going to say, hey, God, I'm going to let you deal with that one later, right? God, can you take care of that? They've not been kind to me. They've done me wrong. God, I want you to do something about that. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying when you leave that in confrontation or when you leave that encounter of persecution, saying, God, that's somebody that you died for. I want you to bestow your goodness. I want you to be good to that person, even though they weren't good to me. Because in doing so, as we see a little bit later in a couple of verses that I'll chat about here in a few minutes, there is an incredible impact in showing radically different love and radically different grace in a moment of persecution. Wow. Um, so then going from that, he says, I want you to rejoice with those who rejoice. I want you to weep with those who weep. And what struck me as I was thinking about this, uh, even, even last night, remember, the posture of humility is absolutely vital here because many times we'll find ourselves either rejoicing or weeping. But he doesn't say stay where you are. He says, I want you to rejoice with the people who are rejoicing and I want you to weep with the ones who are weeping, which means God wants us to have the ability to be sensitive to the needs of people around us. Sensitive to the needs of the people around us. Rejoicing in the scriptures takes place in several instances. In Matthew 18, rejoicing happens when someone lost comes to faith. Uh, in Matthew 5, uh, it happens when persecution comes to someone for the name of Jesus. In other words, they're following Jesus, they receive persecution, and Jesus says, I want you to rejoice. Um, in Romans chapter 12, it's believing God's promise in the face of uncertainty, rejoicing in hope, being patient in affliction. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's also used, and, and it's you're to rejoice in hope when love is being pursued in tr truthfulness. And, and the question is, what do we rejoice in, right? Like, like we, we often find the easiest things in life to rejoice in. But God wants us to rejoice in many circumstances in which we normally wouldn't do that. But not only that, then he wants us to step into what someone else is going through and rejoice with them. 
So someone is serving Christ in a different place of the world, but they're experiencing persecution. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to rejoice that the kingdom of God is moving forward. We're supposed to come alongside and, and celebrate with them that God is with them and for them. And if God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? But, but so on the one hand, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We step into that. But we also weep with those who weep. Now, weeping in this context is, is usually used to describe um, someone who has experienced great personal loss, right? Great personal loss, a, a loss of a family member, a loss of a spouse, a loss of a parent. Uh, it's the word that's used when Mary, um, to describe Mary after her brother Lazarus has died, all right? Uh, it, it's, it's this idea of being filled with sadness or care, or anxiety. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. In one way, shape, or form, I've been there. And one of the things that the body is supposed to do is to step into someone else's life who's experiencing either rejoicing or weeping and to meet them there. Not to expect anything different of them necessarily, but to meet them there. Because remember, humility says, how do I serve my brother and my sister? couple of things here with weeping. Weeping with others can sometimes be difficult because we don't fully understand what they're going through sometimes. It doesn't mean don't weep because you don't understand. It means you weep with those who weep. Some tips, some counsel. How do you weep with those who weep? Well, you allow them to safely express their sorrow, their fear, or their anxiety. You, you be that person who doesn't have to fix it, all right? All the guys in the room who are fix-its, raise your hand. <laughs> Confession time, okay. Um, we want to fix it a lot of times. Sometimes God does not want us to fix it. He wants us to walk with someone who is struggling, to weep with those who are weeping. Listen, don't try to fix the problem remind one another of God's faithfulness. Now, be careful not to use passages out of context when you do this. But remind someone who is undergoing anxiety, fear, uncertainty of life, just remind them, God is with you. He cares about you. I love the verse in Exodus chapter three, I think it is, where, where Israel cries out to God and it says, and God heard their cry. Their cry was not unheard by God. And he actually says, mm, it's time to do something about this. Now, all that was prophetic and everything too. But um, lastly, be, be a friend. Whether someone is rejoicing or someone is weeping, be a friend. Ask God for the wisdom to know, how do I walk next to this person and not make it about me, but make it about how do I instill God and his love and his truth in their life? And how do I help lift them up? wherever they find themselves today. It says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And so first of all, we can notice that we're supposed to be of the same mind toward one another. And as we think about that, it's important to note that it says to be of the same mind toward one another, not to be of the same mind with one another. So we're not just supposed to be a bunch of clones, you know, a hive mentality. We all are exactly the same. 
We all have exactly the same opinion. But we are of the same mind toward one another. We have the same desire toward each other to live in unity and to live in harmony. And so uh, we are inclined toward each other positively in order to help one another. And then, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And our natural inclination is to want to associate with the in crowd. We want to be around people that are popular and people that are pleasant and people that are powerful and people that are wealthy and people that are influential. And we kind of hope, you know, if we hang around these people, maybe a little bit of it will rub off on me and I'll be a little more popular and powerful and influential and wealthy and all those good things. But this verse is calling us to associate with those that our society would label as misfits and outcasts and losers, that we are associating with the unpopular and the poor and the powerless, and we are associating ourselves with them. We're following the example of our master in that. He left heaven's glory to associate with misfits and outcasts and losers in heavenly terms like us. We had nothing to commend us in God's sight and he condescended to associate himself with us to the extent of bearing our sins on the cross and giving his righteousness to us through faith. And so we're called to follow in his footsteps. And then it says not to be wise in our own opinion. In this particular word, wise, this isn't the esoteric wisdom of the philosopher or the scintillating insight of genius or uh, the detailed knowledge of the scholar. This is the wisdom of common sense and sound judgment. And so he's saying, don't think you're the only one with common sense. Now, as we look at the world around us, and it seems that common sense is becoming more and more uncommon, <laughs> it's, it's very, very tempting for us to say, boy, I'm the last one left. <laughs> I'm the last one left that has the sense to step out of the way of a bus when it's heading at me. Uh, but we're not. We don't need to be wise in our own opinion. Um, we're told that... Uh, we should be slow to speak and swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And so as we are willing to listen to others, then we may find that they have insights that we don't have. And so we respect what God has revealed to them. Well, verse 17, as if, uh, as if Paul uh, is saying, hey, if you, if you didn't catch it the first time, if it wasn't clear enough when I said it before that you should bless those who persecute you, let me, let me maybe rephrase it in a slightly different way. Verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, and give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So we, we're going to do, if, if, uh, if you were like me, 
uh, growing up, you heard a couple phrases. I'm going to see if you heard them too. We're going to play a little game really quick. I want you to see if you can complete the phrase that I heard when I was a kid. So the first one is, uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Yes, you heard that as well. Uh, if you don't have anything nice to say, absolutely, right? So we have to teach uh, repaying uh, or, or teach to not repay evil with evil. How many of you have seen a small child with his toy gets taken away? There's anger and there's vengeance. They want that toy back. In all reality, as an adult, we're the same exact way. The norms of our world and the culture that we live in is divisive. We want to make things right. The knowledge of good and evil exists. And we are in it saying, this is not right, and I want justice. I have, been, I have been treated poorly, so I want justice, and I'm going to enact it. But in so many ways, Paul is reminding us to say, hey, hey, pump the brakes a little bit here. It's not just about uh, making sure that, that justice is served. It's an opportunity, once again, to be a messenger of something bigger than yourself. It says, be careful uh, to uh, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, meaning that people are watching. Especially when followers of Jesus, when we can quickly become the hypocrite, when we can quickly become the person who says one thing and does something else. We talk about this in student ministry sometimes. Sometimes students, uh, and we've all been there, we can act like one person on Sunday at, at church or at student ministry in the evening and be a completely different person Monday morning when we, act, we interact with a different crowd. And Paul is reminding us, saying, hey, there is a bigger purpose. We talked about this, middle school students. Remember a couple weeks ago the word purpose? There is a bigger purpose for us in what God has called us to do. And so when we experience trials or persecution, when we experience something that is just not right, while justice is a, is a good thing, it's God's justice to do. And we're going to discover just in a couple verses what exactly that means. But once again, it means we have an opportunity to be a messenger of the gospel and the way that we handle ourselves. How we respond to things matters. Verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And so we're called to live peaceably, but we have two qualifiers. And the first one is if it's possible. And um, it acknowledges there's some times when it's not possible. Uh, you're standing either literally or figuratively and looking, and you see a mob approaching with torches and pitchforks. And uh, it may not be possible to have a peaceful outcome from this interaction. And so um, if there's not a peaceable outcome from that interaction, God may say it wasn't possible. You did what you could, and it wasn't possible to have a peaceful outcome. Second qualifier, as much as depends on you. So don't you be the one leading the mob with the torches and the pitchforks. Uh, because, you know, there won't be a peaceable outcome, but it lies with you to determine whether or not uh, there's going to be that kind of response. And so uh, you're not accountable if there's nothing you can do about it. But as much as you possibly can, you want to have a peaceable outcome. You may find a situation impossible, but don't cause an impossible situation. And then within those limitations, we're called to live peaceably with all men. 
not just with those who are followers of Jesus Christ. I'm going to meddle a little. Not just with those who support my preferred candidate. Not just with those who agree with me about whether or not I ought to wear a mask. Not just with those who are like me in any given way. But with all men. And so in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 9, our Lord says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And so in the midst of a world that's filled with conflict and with chaos, may we shine like lights in that world. May we show ourselves to be children of our Father who is in heaven. Well, 19 picks up, and, and, and once again, it seems that Paul is trying to make it extra clear that we understand what, how, how we respond matters. He says, friends, do not avenge for yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And that comes from Deuteronomy. It says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And so a couple things that really stand out to me here. One, that, that desire for justice is, is, is innate. We, we, we desire justice that the, the knowledge and understanding of what is right and what is wrong is something that, we, that is in us and we want to see things made right. But thankfully, we have a Heavenly Father who also feels that way, who desires to make things right that were wrong, desires to fix what was broken, to restore the relationships that we had separated because of our sin. He wants to restore that. And he's made promises to do so all the way back even further before Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, that I, I will make it right. There will come a time when things will be made right and you have the opportunity to trust me. And it continues, it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And this is a pretty powerful statement. One, for a couple reasons. This kind of indicates a little bit of a power shift. If you're thirsty or you're hungry, you're vulnerable. You're in need of something. And we're saying even when we have an opportunity of, of power or influence over somebody else, or we might be in the stronger position, this is not a time for power. This is not a time to, to enact that justice, to, to, to repay evil with evil, or to seek vengeance on our own. This is an opportunity to display love and grace. Because in doing so, as it says, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now that's super clear to you guys, right? No, it's not. Right? This is not saying go buy Kingsford Charcoal Ace Hardware on the way home. It's like, man, I cannot wait to fix my problem. It's not what it's saying at all. Now, as I studied this, we actually talked about this quite a few because I was like, what the heck is this going on? And there was various commentators, and, and the one that made the most sense to me was one, one commentator noted that back in time, matches weren't a thing. You didn't get the box, the, back, the box of matches out of your drawer, light your fire, and fire was a pretty important thing to cook food, to, for, for water, for warmth. And so if you needed fire, you would go to your neighbor because a good neighbor would supply the things that you need. And they didn't have a match either. 
but they could give you some coals from their fire and put it in a, in, a, in a vase or a vessel that you would bring back to your house so you could have warmth. They would fill that, and if they were a good neighbor, they would fill that vessel up so you would have a nice, good coals to, to, to let your fire get nice and big so that you could do the things that you need to do. And it became a metaphor of extending grace when you didn't have to. And even then, that's a little confusing because we don't typically operate that way. But this was not a vengeance type of act. This is a restorative type of act. That in doing so, you help people see, even if they've treated you poorly, that you are not going to respond in the same way. And when you show that radical love, and when you show that radical grace, and you show that radical kindness, what that can often do is show their own hearts and themselves. They can say, you know what? I wasn't probably the best, I didn't probably act the best in that situation. What I said probably wasn't kind. Our goal is not to seek vengeance and prove that their person was, that, that prove to that person that they're wrong, but to show love in such a way that their heart is moved in a different direction. Now, I was, I was, uh, I was on the internet the other day, and, I, and I, I stumbled across this story, and to me, it was a perfect fiery coals story that helped click in my mind. Uh, and it was a story about uh, President Nelson Mandela of South Africa. And as you know, if, if you know the history of Nelson Mandela in very short, he, he, he suffered many, many persecutions in pursuit uh, of racial equality in South Africa, so much so that he spent many, many years in prison. And after he was released from prison and became president of South Africa, it said there's a story that takes place, that he went out to lunch with his security team, his security advisors. And while they were sitting there, they noticed this man who was sitting across the restaurant from them who was trembling, who was shaking, who looked not quite right. And so Nelson Mandela uh, signaled for his, uh, his, his team to invite that person to come and join lunch with them, which is a kind gesture. And the entire time, that person wouldn't stop trembling. That entire time, that person was, almost seemed fearful and not quite well to the point where he, when that man finished his meal and went on his way, the team came back around Nelson Mandela and said, maybe that person was sick. Maybe that person was, was not quite in, in their right mind. Maybe, maybe we should be a bit more careful. But Nelson Mandela said, no, he wasn't sick. He was fine. In fact, that person was the jailer in the jail and the prison that I was in. And that person tortured me beyond all end. And he was trembling because he was fearful of how I might respond in my new position of power. And in that moment, he didn't choose to throw that person in jail and repay evil with evil. He said, I'm going to set a new standard for how I'm going to treat other people. If I'm going to be about equality among races, equality among people in South Africa, it starts with me. And now that's not a direct uh, connection to, to what God is calling us to do, but it's a beautiful picture of radically different love. He had every bit of power. Nobody would judge him for throwing that jailer in prison to, to have the same sentence. But he said, that's not what we're going to be about. And so what does that mean for this? And it continues. It says, do not be conquered by evil, but evil, but conquer evil with good. We are called to show radical grace, radical love, radical kindness, not because it's our own effort, but because that's what we've received from our Heavenly Father through Jesus. This concept of being a messenger, of being a picture of the gospel, is not one just so it's a, oh, well, we've got to do it because we, we, we've been told to do it. No, it's an opportunity to say, I've received. 
I've seen the goodness of God. I've seen his faithfulness, like the song that we sang earlier. I've experienced that in my life. I've experienced life change beyond anything that I could have ever imagined, and it's not because anything I have done. In fact, I deserve the opposite. So who are we to say as followers of Jesus that we get to choose who receives love and grace from God and who doesn't? Because each one of the people that God has placed in your life, whether you disagree politically, whether you disagree on social issues, whether you disagree on the whole spectrum of things that we can disagree on, that is still somebody that God has said, that is somebody I have died for, is worth dying for, and I want you to be a messenger to that person so they may understand the love and grace that is waiting for them through my son Jesus. We have an opportunity not to conquer, or not be conquered by evil, but to show the love of God in such a way that it change, changes people's understanding about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. John puts it so well in the letter, his first letter. First um, John chapter 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, because love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He goes on to say, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. I think God's desire for us as a community, us as individuals, is to allow the love of God to really continually take greater and greater authority and presence in our lives. So that as we go out, a good barometer of our life, whether or not we're conforming ourselves to the world or being transformed by the renewing of our minds, is to then look at Romans 12, verses 3 and following, and say, God, where is this present in my life? God, where would you have me step into this relationship or to that circumstance and live this way? A way that's transformative, not a way that conforms to what we see around us. It's really easy to conform. The hardest part about transformation is saying, God, here I am, and laying ourselves down and becoming second in the picture instead of first. Let's pray together. God, I for one want to say there are so many times in my life in which I want to be first. And I want my life to be directed by my desires and my wishes, and yet you call me, you call us to a different way of life. But God, you don't just call us to commands and say, go do this. You say, here's what I want you to do. And here is my spirit who gives you the power and the direction to know what to do. And God, I pray for our lives this week that we would walk with you that we would seek to have lives that are marked by the change that you want to bring in us. God, that amidst a very, very 
many times dark and divisive world that as Matthew says in his gospel, that we would be lights that shine in the darkness. God, thank you so much uh, for each of my friends here. I pray for them in their lives, wherever they find themselves today. God, give them truth and give them power for the next right step. Step with a friend at school. Step with a family member. Step in the right direction with a coworker. God, give them the wisdom and the grace to live a transformed life this week by your power. We bless you, God, and we thank you for your good gifts to us this day. We thank you, God, for giving us eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, God, for your spirit that walks with us. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. You are sovereign over all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want any help walking through something in your life, we would love to be able to rejoice with you, to weep with you, to walk with you as we seek to follow Jesus here at first. That's why we exist. We want to know Christ. We want to make him known throughout our community and our world. And so, um, yeah, if there's any way we can serve you with that, your bulletins are a great source of information. There's lots of stuff coming up, Baptism Sunday in a few weeks, a couple other things. Please check those out. Let us know if you have any questions. Pastor Tom has one announcement for us, and then uh, we will have our dismissal. Related to the Quincy Street property this morning, that uh, we, thanks to uh, all of your faithful giving and a final gift from a generous donor, we've been able to retire the debt on that property. Mm -hmm. We have another uh, recent event related to the Quincy Street property that happens to be totally unrelated, but um, recently the elders received an offer from Zealand Public Schools to purchase the Quincy Street property. And the elders are currently reviewing that offer. They've scheduled a meeting with the congregation next Sunday, October 25 at 6 p.m. here in the main auditorium to provide additional information regarding that offer. We plan to mail a letter about the meeting to the church family this week. It'll contain some additional information about the offer. If anyone would like to review a full copy of the offer, you can contact the church office and schedule a time to do that. Please be praying for wisdom for the elders and the church family as we seek God's leading regarding this matter. Pray we'd go forward in the way that will best help us as a body of believers to know Christ better and to make him known to others. Um, with that, with that, this week uh, is our monthly elder meeting. And if there's any way we can pray for you, we set aside time at the beginning of every elder meeting uh, to pray for our congregation. And specific needs are always, uh, we, we love to pray for specific needs. And so if there's anything we can be praying for you about or we can serve you in, please let us know. You can send me an email. Uh, my contact information is on the website or you can, you can touch base with me here after we're finished. So would you stand with us? Friends, we have much to be grateful for. God has given us life and breath today. God has given us the ability to serve him in whatever he has called us to. It's my prayer that we would do that. And so may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ walk with us this week. 
May God give us wisdom and power by his spirit to do what is right and to bring honor and glory to the name of the one who has saved, redeemed, and reconciled us to himself. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed.